How many of us are ready for the Word of God? Show me your hand. All right, fantastic, wonderful. I'm actually very excited. I think this will be a really fun one. Um, we're going to get back into 1 Peter chapter 4 now. And today's sermon is titled, if you're writing notes, How to Live for God. How to Live for God. Let me begin with a story. I got this story from Pastor Arthur. So last Sunday night, I was at Vibe Camp and he shared this wonderful session. And he shared a, a very great story that I thought when I heard it, I said, wow, I got to share this with the rest of the church on the coming Sunday. So I asked pa Arthur for permission and he said, I actually got it from Francis Chan, an American pastor. But I listened to both versions and I actually like Arthur's version much better. So I'm gonna stick with Arthur's version. So the story goes like this. A mom was calling her son, her young son to come to her. Hey son, come here. And the son came here, and then she looked at him dead in the eye and said, go clean up your room. Go clean up your room. And the boy looked at mom and knew that mom was serious. So he said, oh, okay, okay, okay. And he ran off. A few hours later, he came back. Mom was now preparing dinner in the kitchen. And he, he was very excited. He, was, he had a bounce in his steps. He was a big smile on his face. Turned to mom, mom, mom. Mom, I'm so excited and, and I'm so proud of myself. And I think if you found out what I did, you will be proud of me too. So she said, oh yeah, tell me what, what, what? Mom, you said go clean up your room. I went back and I memorized it. I memorized every single word. I can't even tell you now, mom, what, I, what, what you said. Go clean up your room. Mom, I'm so good. Mom, that's not all, mom, mom. I got so serious about what you told me, I went and researched and I Googled what that says in the Greek. Mom, I can now tell you what it says in the Greek. It says, Pegaine na katarises to domatio su. Mom, aren't you proud of me, mom? Mom, that's not all. I went to tell some of my friends. And we got together and we came into my room. And then we started talking about what you told us. Go clean up your room. We unpacked every single word. We discussed it. We prayed with one another. God, would you come and help us? Give us the strength and the discipline to go clean up my room. Mom, aren't you proud of me? What do you think mom said? What do you think mom did? What would you do if you were mom? We laugh about it. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, we do this to God all the time. We listen to the Word of God. We come and hear God's Word preached on Sunday. We get really excited about it. We memorize it maybe. We hear about it in the Greek, in the Hebrew. We get really pumped up about it. Go back to our connect groups, come together, talk about it, pray about it. But then the question is, do we actually do it? We're now at the point in 1 Peter, Peter has unpacked three chapters of theology about God, what Christ did, who we are in Christ, we're God's chosen people, how Christ is now victorious and over everything. Now Peter at this point wants us now to get to work. In today's passage, he spells out in practical terms how we can do the will of God by living for God. Because Peter knows, he was with Jesus when Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 21. He's, Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of God. And that's why it's really important. So today's message is not a to feel sermon. It's not even a to know sermon. It's a to do sermon. Turn to the person next to you and say, to do 
And we will unpack just three things that Peter tells us to do if we want to live for God. So let's bow our heads in prayer for a little moment. God, would you come and speak to us, not just to tickle our minds or to make us feel in our body or emotions, but to practically learn how to do the will of God and to live for this, for this almighty God that we serve and that we love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first thing that Peter tells us is to be armed with Christ's attitude, with the attitude of Christ. You see, what happens when you become a Christian, what happens when you become a Christian is that you're now drawing towards God. Every moment of your life, discipleship is meant to inch you towards God. But while we are inching towards God as Christians, we are actually being forced back at the same time by the world to go back into the sinful way of living. Isn't that true? The world in this secular system, the people around you, by what it does, by what it proposes to you as an alternate way of life, coerces you, corners you, conforms you back into the old way of living. That's what we see all the time. But in verse four, Peter says this, that they, the world, are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless while living and they heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you, they insult you, they talk trash about you, humiliate you, embarrass you, threaten you, harass you, even cancel you when you try to live for God. And Peter says this in in, in verse four, that they're surprised that you don't join them. Peter says, of course, they will heap abuse on you. That's because they're surprised. The root Greek word, ha <laughs> Greek, ha <laughs> The Greek root word for surprise is the word xenos. Xenos literally means a stranger, a foreigner. No wonder they're surprised, because now you're strange to them. You're a stranger to them. You don't join them anymore. You're swimming against the tide. You're driving in the opposite direction. You're sailing against the wind. You know why? Because you are not the same anymore. You and I are not the same anymore. We belong to God. In verse 2, Peter says this, As a result, we, they, Christians, do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You now get to choose. Which one do I want to live for? Do I want to live for evil human desires, my old sinful ways, or do I want to live for the will of God? You now get to choose. But the Bible clearly tells us it is a choice. You have to choose. You can't say yes to Jesus and say yes to the world at the same time. Your foot can't be so wide and so long and do a split so big that you can be in both places at the same time. When you say yes to Jesus, you have to say no to the world. That's what Peter is drawing out from here. But how do you choose to live for God and to, and to stay the course, stay in that same direction? Peter gives us the secret. Arm yourselves, he says in verse one. Arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ. This word arm yourselves is actually a military term. It literally means to weaponize yourself, carry a gun, weaponize yourself, carry a sword weaponize yourself. The mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ, the way he thinks, the way he sees the world, the way he sees himself is your greatest weapon against conforming into the ways of the world. That's why he's saying, arm yourselves with the same attitude as Christ. What is the attitude of Christ? Is this. Listen carefully. Jesus 
in his mind. And he's brought it up all the way to, to chapter 3 and now in chapter 4 in First Peter. The attitude of Christ is, I would rather suffer and do the will of God than to disobey God for the sake of avoiding suffering. I would rather suffer and do the will of God than to disobey God for the sake of avoiding suffering. Why? Because my suffering in this life is not the end. Jesus knows it. He knows that's not the end of the story. We just read and we just heard last week in Sunday's sermon last week that Jesus was, was on his way from a victim to a victor. He knew he was going to reign and rule with God the Father in heaven so he could look at all suffering and he would not be bothered by it. So today you and I, when we put on the mind of Christ, you can turn to the world and say, I don't need to fear you. I don't need to appease you. I don't need to be like you. I don't need to fit in with you. I don't need to join you because I believe in Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I belong to God. I belong to my Father. I live for Him. My will is the same as His will. I would rather suffer for Him and to glorify Him than to be like you. You and I can say the same thing when you put on the mind of Christ. That's the first thing that Peter tells us. And the second thing he says is this. Be attentive through prayer. Be attentive through prayer. Now, even if we made the resolve to bear the attitude of Christ and live for God, there can still be one problem. We may have stopped conforming to the world, but we haven't stopped comparing to the world. When I was a pastor of young adults, I, heard I would have many different questions from young adults. And one of the most common questions I get from young adults, it goes along the lines of something like that, which is, uh, why do my non-Christians, why do some of my non-Christians' friends live better lives than me? Why is it some of them are having bigger cars, better houses, more beautiful partners, better careers, more money than me? If I'm a Christian, shouldn't Christians be the most blessed? At the root of that question is comparison is comparison, comparing ourselves. Peter was writing to Christians who were comparing non-Christians who were living the life versus they, Christians, or even Christians who were around them who literally died for living their faith. So Peter was writing to people who were comparing. That's the occasion for the first Peter letter. Church, listen. Comparison to the world erodes commitment to God. Every time you compare yourself to how the world is doing, it erodes your commitment to God. So Peter was writing to Christians who were, who were comparing themselves with the pagans who were living the life, and this act eroded at those Christians' commitment to live for God. Does this sound familiar? It is really hard to live a Christian life in this world. The Bible says we are in this world, but not of this world. But let me tell you something, it's even harder for young Christians to live for God in this age. Why do I say so? When you go to school, when you go to high school, there's so many people, so many of our friends who are popular because they say things that make them popular and say things that sometimes are crude, are rude. Some of them might be swearing as a way of fitting in with everybody else. Some of them might be making crude jokes. Uh, picking at the girls because it helps them to fit in with everybody else and to help them to be popular. 
Some of us, maybe we've got friends at the age of 18. Well, we started, well, you're now legal to, to drink. So what do we do? Well, let's get into parties. Let's get into booze. Let's get into alcohol so that I can get into the group that is the cool group so that I can mix in with my friends and not seem like I'm the odd one out. Well, my friends, they, you know, they're all having friends with benefits. They're all sleeping around like it's nothing. And, and, and that's norm. The, the Christian way of thinking about sexual boundaries is archaic and ancient. Man, it's so long ago. Why are you even sticking on to that? It's all right. It's, it's all right to, to sleep around. It's, it's all right to live in the same apartment as your, as your partner. That's okay. Christian boundaries don't apply anymore. Well, it's okay to pursue your career. You know, step on a few people if you had to. Lie if you have to. Skim some corners and cut some corners if you have to. You do some dodgy deals if you have to. But that's the way you climb the career ladder. Young Christians today are all facing challenges in this world because they're not of this world. Let me share with you my fair share of my struggle. I've had heaps of failures just like that, but I've had some moments where I can see God's faithfulness and grace in my life because some, in some areas I was able to follow God. Not in all areas, but in some areas. And let me share with you just two areas of my life where I saw God coming through my life as a young man. Um, some of you might know this story if you don't already. Um, at the tender age of 25, I was still swinging single, single, not King Domingo, because God had a call in my life to serve young people. And so I spent all my days serving young people. And when you serve youths and when you serve young adults who are not your age, you hardly have any time to mix with people your age. So how do you meet girls, man? So I had this problem. I had a no-girlfriend problem where I had no girlfriends. And at the age of 25, um, I mean, people were already wondering, like, what's wrong with this guy, you know? I mean, he's, he's quite good looking, you know? He's, he's not too bad, you know? And, uh, but what is wrong with this guy? At the age of 25, I still had no girlfriends. And then I, I remember making the pact with God. God, if by the age of 30, if I'm still single, you know, forget it. I'm not even going to try. I think I'll just stay single and serve you all my life. But, but then by the grace of God, <laughs> at the age of 26, I met my first girlfriend who became my last girlfriend, is now my ex-girlfriend, and is now my beautiful wife, Vanessa. And she is literally the best person that God has given to me. You're clapping for God, right? You're not clapping for her, right? But, although she's wonderful, she's wonderful. Um, and, and, and so I, I really see God being faithful as I serve Him faithfully week in, week out in youth ministry all the time. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, when I started working, I, I worked in a bank, and you guys know this. I used to work in a bank. And the thing about big banks and big corporates is, uh, let me tell you a secret if you don't already know this, and if you're getting on like, in big corporates, um, if you want to get promoted, it doesn't matter how much work you do. What matters is how much work you seem to be doing. So what a, lot, a lot of times what happens is um, people like to go for those big parties, those after-work drinks on Friday nights, Friday evening, Friday afternoons. And that's the time where you get to mingle with the big guns, the big shots, the big bosses, right? Face to face, you know, right next to each other, cleaning those glasses and those beer mugs and saying, hey, how are you? My name is Dan, you know, uh, I've been working on this project and I want to tell you, you know, it's such a good time. You've got such a great company. I'm so blessed in the last three years to be part of that. Uh, that's where you get to meet the big boys and to run with the big boys in the big league. We all know that uh, some, sometimes, but the, 
in my life, God has called me sometimes, uh, I mean, not sometimes, but during that time to lead in, in ministries and connect groups and all that. So Friday nights was almost like a no-go for me. I always needed to be somewhere serving in church or in the connect groups, small groups. And so I always missed out on those parties. While my friends are going for drinks and they were getting chummy with the big boys, there I was in church or in small groups sharing about my big God. But then I tell you that God is faithful. When you learn to put God first and when you trust God, even with your career, you don't have to be among the big boys to climb because if that's where God wants you to be, He will lead you there. And you know my story. Some of you know my story. Um, God moved me from country to country, from role to role. Eventually, I became one of the youngest, the youngest uh, business managers, COOs in, in the bank that I was working for. And God was faithful even in that. So, so what am I saying here? I want to have a word to the next generation, to kinetic, to vibe, to impact. And as your pastor, as a, as a big brother, as somebody who's walked further, a little bit further than you in life and experienced God's goodness, I can say to you without a shadow of a doubt, give God your best years. Try Him and you will see Him. You will never get the short end of the stick from God. God will never shortchange you. How many of you can say amen to that? Let's give the Lord a hand, yeah. And the recipients of, of Peter's letter, they were feeling shortchanged. In this moment, they were, they, were, they were living life and they felt shortchanged. They were suffering for their faith and some even died for it. And all these wild pagans, non-Christians were living the life. And Peter is saying to them, guys, don't let what you see fool you. Don't let what you see fool you because there is a plot twist in the end. God is the judge at the end of time. He's the judge of all. There is no escape whether you're alive or not, whether you're Christian or not. In verse 5, he says, they will all have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. God will judge everyone based on how they had lived in accordance with his will. So from a worldly point of view, non-Christian's point of view, Non-Christians die, Christians die, atheists die, irreligious die, tall people die, short people die, fat people die, thin people die, we're all gonna die. If we're all gonna die, then at least let me die partying. But with this perspective, it seemed to us that non-Christians are living their best life now. But that's precisely the problem. Because if you are not a follower of Jesus, your best life is limited only to now. Those few decades you have on earth, 80 on the average, 100 years if you're lucky, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your best life is always ahead of you. God always has the best in store for you. You're gonna be with God forevermore. In verse six, it says this, this is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, even those who are dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the spirit. The Bible says this, the, the very reason the gospel is being proclaimed to, you, to us, he says this, so even though Christians die like all people, it is only Christians who will live forever with God in the spirit. That's why your best days are always ahead of you. But let me say this, often the problem is not that we don't know this. You and I know this, right? The problem is we get distracted. We get distracted, how? We get too busy focusing on ourselves. 
We constantly pay attention. Every morning, we've got so many things to do, kids to look after, lunchboxes to fill, pickups to do, work to prepare, ministry to do, health, care, health, health checks to, to be mindful of. We get so busy. We are paying attention to what needs to be done at the cost of paying attention to what God is doing. That's the problem. So while we are distracted, time is ticking away. Seconds become minutes, minutes become hours, hours become days, days become weeks, weeks become months, months become years. And before we know it, we're no longer as fervent to God as before. We're no longer worshiping God as passionately as before. We're no longer giving, as giving of our time to God as before. We're no longer as hungry for His Word as before. Isn't that true? At verse seven, Peter says this, the end of all things is near. It's drawing nearer and nearer. So, so therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So with the end drawing nearer and nearer to us, what is Peter telling us to do? Be alert, be sober-minded, be prayerful. Now he's saying here, not just so that you can pray, right? You don't have to be alert and sober-minded, clear-minded to pray. How, how many of us, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't ask this question. I'll just say it. So many of us can play, pray half asleep. Dear God, thank you for today. We have such a wonderful day in your grace. Ah, God, God, please forgive me of my sins today. I, I, don't, I don't know what I did, but I'm sure I did something. Some of us can pray half asleep. You don't need to be awake to be praying. We know that. This is not what he's saying. But he's saying be continually attentive through, to God through prayer. In other words, we pray so that we can pay greater attention to God and less attention to ourselves. The act of prayer helps us with that. Eugene Peterson, great American pastor who wrote the message version of the Bible, he says this, prayer is the way we work our way out of the comfortable but cramped world of self and into the spacious world of God. Prayer helps us to refocus on living for God rather than living for ourselves. Take for example the, the example of Jesus. When Jesus was facing a clash of wills, his versus the heavenly father, what did Jesus do? Luke 22 verse 42 records Jesus praying. And he prayed and he said this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. If Jesus needed prayer in order to carry on living for the will of God, what more you and I? Prayer is really important. And that's why I'm so grateful that in the life of the church, we've got things, equipped courses such as the Deepening Your Prayer Life equipped course coming up in August. We've got fortnightly prayer meetings. We pray every time we meet together in connect groups. We pray before service. We pray during service. We pray all the time. In fact, why don't we just take a moment and pray right now? Come. Lord, we just want to focus on you and continue to hear your word. Would you continue to speak to us as we are attentive to you in this act of prayer? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Keep doing that every moment of your life. Number three, what's the third thing that Peter says? So he says, be armed with Christ's attitude, be attentive to God through prayer. Number three, be a person who loves others. Be a person who loves others. And I broke it down very simply, L-O-V-E-S, loves. I'm going to give you five things to do so you know exactly what I mean. Number one, L, love deeply. Love deeply. Everyone say love deeply. Love deeply. Love deeply. In verse eight, 
Peter says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Look at the people on your left and on your right, right now. Look at them, look at them. Smile at them. Give them a big toothy grin as big as you can get. <laughs> Show them the vegetable in your teeth that you ate for breakfast. Smile at them. You know why? Because if we're going to spend eternity with the people next to us, we might, as start, we might as well start loving them now. If you're going to spend eternity with the guy next to you, better start loving them now. Um, I, I recently bought this. Anybody knows what this is? It's a collapsible bucket from Kmart that I bought just recently. It is a 10-liter bucket that can hold 10 liters of water. Do you think it can hold 10 liters now? I don't think so. It's not supposed to be. When it is in this shape, it can barely hold any water. But it was made to hold 10 liters of water. So let me try to do this. I, I, I haven't done this successfully at home. There you go. All right. So when you open it up and expand it, when it's deep enough, it gets to hold the full 10 liters. In the same way, the Bible tells us to love, not just to love, but to love deeply. You know why? Because how deeply we love each other determines how much of each other's nonsense we can hold. The reason why we have so many conflicts with people in our groups or in our families is because I, I suggest to you, we don't love enough. We're not loving deeply enough. When you love somebody truly and deeply and madly, the song goes, if, if, you, if you love somebody like that, you can carry their nonsense anywhere, anytime. And no matter how much they give to you, you will just keep sucking it in because you love deeply. That's why the Bible says don't just love, but to love deeply. Thanks, Annie. Wayne Grudem, a, a New Testament theologian, he says this, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some of the large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound. Isn't that true? And that's why loving people is a key part of our church's mission statement, to love God passionately, yes, we do that, but also to love people practically. Because we believe that if our church is filled with people like you and I who love deeply, we will have to lock the doors of the church to keep people away. Because everyone in this world is looking for real love, genuine love, deep love. So first one, love deeply. Number two, O for offer hospitality. Peter says this in verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The word hospitality in, in the Greek, haha, <laughs> Greek, ha <laughs> Greek is the word philo, sinos. Philo means, philo, philo, philo meaning love, sinos, we heard this already, stranger. So what it means is love for strangers. Interesting, never thought about it that way, huh? People who are not your kin, people who are different from you different skin color, different language, different culture, different backgrounds, different social economic status, different kind of houses, different suburb, people who are different from you. That's hospitality. And while, you know, in verse four, remember, he talked about the pagans, right? The pagans abuse you because you're a stranger. While the pagans abuse those who are strange to them, Christians are commanded to love those who are strange to them. Isn't that amazing? 
Once again, do, do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look strange to me. That's because they look different from you, right? You look strange to me. Now turn back to the same guy and say, but I love you anyway. Hospitality is treating people who are different from you and I in a loving, practical way. Treating them in a loving, practical way. And the Bible says to do so without grumbling or murmuring or complaining. Um, literally, in the Greek, it means to speak in a low voice. Speak in a low voice. No, not, not, kind of, not in a kiftan low voice. Low voice. Not, not that low voice. But more like a soft volume, soft volume. So while you are... Um, okay, so you had the CG over, connect group over, some kids were in the house, you know, some of them, um, while you were not looking, they took some markers and they started coloring the carpet, your fresh beige carpet, and when they leave, you're like, oh, oh, and while you're cleaning it, you know, your heart is heavy, you're really sad, and then you, I can't believe this, oh my goodness, next time, I'm, you're not going to come here anymore, man, I'm not going to host anymore. That, that is low voice, that's murmuring, all right? That's complaining. The Bible says don't do that, don't do that. Why is it important to love strangers without murmuring? Because if we keep offering hospitality to strangers, <laughs> very soon these strangers will be strangers no more. They will be part of you, they wanna be with you, they wanna understand you, they wanna spend time with you. When people experience genuine love of God through you, they will be drawn to you. That's why it's so important that we do so as a church. Thank you to those who are in the hospitality team who are wearing the Love in Action shirt. You, you champion for us what it means to love and to draw people with the love of God. But church, it is not their duty. It is you and me. It's a command given to all Christians to be hospitable, to love people who are different from us. When we love them with the genuine love of God, they will be drawn to God. That's O, V, very quickly. So love deeply, offer hospitality. V, volunteer your service. The Bible says in verse 11, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. <laughs> the most obvious and important thing to say about this verse is, God gives you strength when you serve. Amen. By a show of hands, raise your hands. How many of us are serving in FCC in some capacity? Show me your hands. You're a leader, you're a ministry person, you, you do kids. But that's a lot of you. Thank you so much. God bless you. The Bible is saying, Peter is saying to us, you and me who are serving, if you are serving, make sure you do so not with your own strength, but with the strength that God supplies. Is it possible to serve out of your own strength? Of course. Of course. But it will only be a matter of time if we serve out of our own strength. It will only be a matter of time before you and I will run into strength problems, into what I call supply chain problems, which is exactly what we're experiencing, you and me, right now in supermarkets, Coles and Woolies right now in WA. Supply chain problems. I mean, I can't even buy my eggs now. I've got to like, try to time it so that you know, the eggs are there and I, whoo, and, and I get it. <laughs> supply chain problems. But this is why we pray every time before we serve. It's so important because prayer, the act of prayer, makes sure that we get the right supplies, the strength, from the right supplier. Every time we pray so before pre-service, right, service, before service, we pray together in that room. Every time when you're coming for connect group, pray together. Every time when you're going for missions, preparing for missions, you pray. I propose to you every time when you are driving to work, that's also an area of service, you being in the office, pray. 
Get the right supplies from the right supplier. Do it by, not by your own strength, by the strength of God. When you go into school tomorrow, high schoolers, when you're serving God in high school, do you pray? God, please help me. Give me the strength that I need because the strength is not my own. I need yours. You need the right supplies from the right supplier. So that's, that's, that's number three, V. E is to employ your gift. Employ your gift. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good managers of the grace of God in all its various forms. Everyone, you and I, everyone has a gift. When it comes to our gifts, God only has one rule in this verse, one rule, and that is to use it, to employ it. Use your gifts. You have one job with your gift. One job, use it, employ it. And he says, by the way, don't compare. Our gifts are different from one another. The Greek word for various in this particular text is a beautiful word called poikilos. And poikilos means many colored, many colored, different colors, many colored. Most recently, I love this jumper. It was given to me by my mom-in-law. So shout out to my mom-in-law who's probably watching now on the online. Um, but most recently, I found out that this jumper is not olive green color. It is actually dark moss color, dark moss green. I mean, some of us don't even know that there's such a thing as olive green color. The grass is green, the leaves are green, my drink is green, everything is green, it's just green. But did you know that apparently green has 295 types of green? And that's just one color. Can you imagine? Our gifts are as many colored as this, varied. So no point comparing. What is God's aim in giving us different gifts? The Bible says it's to serve one another, to serve other people, specifically so that everyone can be served. Why? Because it takes all kinds of gifts to serve all kinds of people. If you don't use your gift to serve God, I can guarantee you someone is missing out because you have chosen not to serve with your gift. Don't compare and say, oh, Pastor Benny preached so well, so I cannot preach, I cannot share. Don't compare, Pastor Dave, he plays the guitar, he looks so good while doing it, so I'm not going to lead worship. Don't compare, your connect group leader leads and facilitates the Bible study so well. I don't think I can lead, I don't think I can facilitate, I don't think I can become a connect group leader. The gifts are all different. God has gave us poikilos kind of gifts, varied kind of gifts. And if you don't serve, someone is missing out. So if you haven't already, church, start using your gift. Find a place to serve. Talk to your leaders. How can I serve in a connect group? Talk to your ministry heads. Uh, how, how, how can I serve in worship? How can I serve in equip? Go to fcc.live release tab and you have a list of ministries that you can start the conversation with in order to get involved. Use your gift, employ. So love deeply, offer hospitality, volunteer your service, employ your gifts. Last but not least, S, speak God's words. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. When you read this, do not think Pastor Dan, Pastor Benny, or any of the other preachers. This is not limited to pastors. This is not limited to teachers. This is not even limited to your connect group leaders. The, the, the Greek word for speak is laleo, which generally means to utter intelligible, understandable words. When your two-year-old turns to you and say, no, 
That is laleo. When your five-year-old comes up to you and say, that's not fair. That is laleo. When you are teaching your kids, you're teaching, when you, while you're teaching your kids, you are speaking. When you are chatting with your colleagues, you are speaking, you're laleoing. When you're having a conversation with someone in the car, you are speaking. When you're whispering to the person next to you while I'm preaching, you're speaking. The Bible tells us that when we speak, don't just speak godly words. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Many of us punctuate our sentences with hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sounds godly, godly words. He says, don't just do that, but speak the very words of God. How do you do that? Wow, I mean, is, is that even possible? Of course. If it weren't possible, God wouldn't be asking us to do that. How do we do that? Not by reciting scripture, by the way, in case your mind goes there, right? Tomorrow when you go to school, when you're, if you're a teacher and a kid comes up to you, teacher, miss, can I go to the toilet? You don't turn to them and say, what you need to do, go and do quickly. That's what Jesus said to Judas Iscariot, in case you didn't get a joke. <laughs> Tomorrow when, you, when your boss comes up to you and they say, how's the project? Have you finished the project? It is done. It is finished. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't, it's not just reciting scripture all the time. It's just plain weird. Don't do that. But rather is being attentive. Listen, being attentive and obedient to the Holy Spirit in you so that he can speak through you. When you speak the words of the Holy Spirit, allow him to use your lips to speak. That is the very words of God because it's God speaking through you. So be in connection with the Holy Spirit. Be attentive and open to Him. Remember, we talk about that in prayer, right? It's one of the best ways to do so. Wow. Love others. Right? Love deeply. Offer hospitality. Volunteer your service. Employ your gifts. Speak God's words. Five ways. Brothers and sisters, can you, can you imagine what your CG would look like, your connect group would look like if we live for God like that, if everyone loves, L-O-V-E-S, each other? Can you imagine what our church would look like if you and I, every one of us, loves the people around us? Wow. What an incredible image and representation of Christ we will be. Not just to our church, to our city, to our communities, to our colleagues, to our classmates. We will become as Jesus were to be Himself on this earth. So be armed. We can do that, you know, but we can begin to live for God by being armed with the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, being attentive through prayer, and being a person who loves other people. So let me close with this question. What is the end goal of living for God? What is the objective? What is the aim? What are we trying to get at? What is the point of living for God? The Bible says that it is not so that you and I can grow spiritually. Sometimes we think, oh God, I live for you so that I can grow in my spiritual maturity. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is not even saying so that your connect group can become healthy. It's not so that the church can be built up. It's not even so that our city can be saved. In verse 11, the Bible says, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So that to God be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When we live for God, we bring God praise. 
We're giving Him glory. We're giving Him honor. We're giving Him power because He's deserving of it all. That's why we live for God. When you live for God, you're saying, God, to you be all praise, all glory, all power forever and ever. Amen. Church is because He's worthy. Church is because He's glorious. He's wonderful. He's faithful. He's almighty. God is so good. That's why we choose to live for Him. And I hope that God is stirring in some of our hearts today to say, yes, God, I want to live for you. Maybe in that way, maybe in more ways. God, I want to live for you because I want to bring you praise. So church, if, if, if you're with me and you believe that and you want to do that, can I invite you, wherever you are, just stand where you are. We're going to get into a time of worship. If that's you today, stand with me in worship. I'm going to pray in a little bit and we're going to get into a time of worship. I'm not going to call anybody to come to the front because living for God is a call not for one or two or three or even 10 or 15 people. It's a call for all of us, you and me, to live for God, to bring Him glory. So as we get into a time of worship, we're going to sing praises, we're going to lift Him up. And if that's you and you are determined and committed and surrendered to live for God, as we're singing, why don't you lift your hands as we get into the time of worship? Let me pray. God, we want to ask that you continue to soak our hearts with your Holy Spirit to live for you, to be armed with, the Christ, with Christ's attitude, to be attentive through prayer, to be a person who loves, and to bring you glory all for your praise, all for your glory, all for your honor, all for your power, because you are deserving of not just our lives, but everything in all creation and all that we can offer. So we lift you up, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.